Welcome to the Mindful Medicine Podcast. I, Juliana Zapatel, will be your host, bringing in experts to discuss a holistic approach to well-being using Eastern philosophy and Western research. Today, I welcome Moss Vidal, an influential teacher, speaker, and author of Ayurveda, Yoga, and Vedantic philosophy. My name is Moss Vidal. Sanskrit name Mahesh Ananda. I am the director and founder of Dancing Shiva, Ayurveda and yoga school that I launched in 2001 as a brick and mortar school in Los Angeles. And then later evolved into an online platform with affiliate locations that I work with throughout the United States, Mexico, Asia, and India. And the unique approach of dancing Shiva, not only as a school, which embraced yoga and Ayurveda, which were really two systems that 20 plus years ago weren't very known as, as, as a unified approach. The emphasis was on that, teaching people that Ayurveda and yoga are ultimately part of one great tradition. They're meant to be practiced together. And so everything we did was focused on applying and learning and practicing Ayurveda and yoga as one. I also ran my own Ayurvedic clinic where I treated many patients and clients for many, many years from various disorders, conditions, cancer, diabetes, digestive issues, skin issues. We also had a complete herbal emporium there. And we had the only very focused sort of library or store that sold uh, many Sanskrit books that were based on Vedanta, the philosophy of, of India, yoga, and Ayurveda, um, many Ayurvedic books, yogic books. And so we had a large selection of these books that were offered to our students. We wanted to create that experience that it's not just practicing, it's also understanding and it's learning and it's applying these teachings with mindfulness, understanding why you're doing things, right? And not just doing things because somebody told you to do it or the system instructs you to do it, which is a very common approach in the Western world. We create formulas, we create brands, we create sort of cookie cutter systems and people follow them, they sell them because it's easy and it brings back much monetary return for them. So we're really encouraging that study, understand what you're learning so that it resonates with you. So it makes sense to you, not because I say so, but because 
it makes sense to you and it relates to your mind-body uh, connection, your soul evolution, your life purpose, because then that positive mental attitude that you're carrying around with it and that you're using to apply these great teachings empowers it rather than mechanical methods that we see today. And, and so that is what I do. I'm also the founder and CEO of a Ayurvedic herbal uh, products company and superfoods company called More Life Market. We have now up to 40 of our own branded products. These are mostly formulas that I've created. And I use them to support the work that I do, the many clients that I work with all over the world. And I encourage students of our programs to work with these for lifestyle enhancement, for working with their clients as they go out into the world as Ayurvedic counselors. They need these herbs, they need these superfoods to help bring balance to people's lives today. And um, our society and these clients that everyone is working with needs a good counselor, somebody that's educated and informed to train them and explain to them why they should take these herbs, why they're important, and how they relate to their unique mind-body constitution. We don't just give something for all. Everything is based on you. You are unique. You are distinct. You have more or less of certain elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether. And that variation or that sort of construction that you come in with in this life tells us based on those elements what you need to help you balance to help you thrive to help you feel abundant have a strong immunity and to help support your evolution this is a very different approach from western medicine like the way you're explaining to help someone thrive instead of just survive and and going beyond this view of health as a simple are you physically okay or not and actually taking a whole um, person approach i think that's really incredible work you know when i did my original 200 hour yoga training um, ayurveda was not at all mentioned and so what inspired you to bring about this connection of yoga and ayurveda and, and work them together and why is that you know not happening in other trainings do you think yeah that's a great question and so I come from a background of athletics. I love athletics, um, not so much in the Western sense where it's so competitive and abusive to the body, but I love athletics because it provides a variety of ways for us to stay healthy physically, to exercise and to enjoy, to have fun. Um, and coming from that background, I was drawn to yoga, hatha yoga, physical yoga. Um, and I realized that the Western counterpart 
to exercise and wellness, which is diet, the lifestyle, this emphasis on protein didn't match well with yoga. There's no mention of these factors, you know, um, especially dietarily, because Ayurveda is essentially a nature tradition. It's a nature, um, and it has a strong emphasis on diet. And I realized connecting yoga to Western dietetics didn't work. Why do I need more protein? Why is protein important? What about vegetarianism? Where Western diets are so emphasized around meat, meat, meat. Meat and everything else is secondary. And I knew that there's some there was something else out there. And when I was originally introduced to yoga, I was also introduced to Ayurveda and Vedic astrology, but it kind of didn't catch on to me uh, in those years, my early 20s. And it was not until after practicing yoga for a few years that I was trying to find its partner, right? The sun has its partner, the moon has its partner, planets have their partners, and everything is a sacred relationship. And I came back around to connect with Ayurveda. And I realized ultimately if a person wants balance, they cannot attain true balance without combining yoga and Ayurveda. Yoga is a solar tradition. Yoga's aim is to manage the mind. It's to have mastery over the mind, focus and concentration of the mind. And Ayurveda is a system designed to heal and balance the body. Perfect. One system to teach us mental control, mind focus, and another system to teach us body balance and healing. So those two together bring perfect harmony or synchronicity to the mind body relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and you were introduced to yoga, you said in your early 20s, but what about spirituality as a whole? Was that something that was always a part of your life or came at a certain time? What's that story for you? Well, yoga for me was always a spiritual tradition. It was my interest in it was always to have a direct connection and experience with God. And I had a an awakening in college. I was probably 20, 21. And that's when the, in, the process of inquiry began. What is the world? What is love? What is the purpose of life? And as I begin that long, you know, evolutionary process, yoga grew, grew, and grew. I had no intention of becoming a yoga teacher. I studied yoga for seven years before ever considering teaching it. Um, and I studied it as per a traditional approach. I didn't study the physical yoga. I studied a branch called Raja Yoga. 
which is the branch that emphasizes mind management and meditation. And so some people who may have only grown up knowing the physical aspect, like the asanas and the poses, can you maybe expand on some of the other important aspects of yoga and, and the spiritual side of that? Well, the, the physical aspect of yoga is popular in the Western world because there's a strong desire for people to, one, connect with their bodies. And much of Western culture is externalized. And so they're drawn to wellness, health, you know, enjoyment of life through the body and through the senses. And so Hatha Yoga as a postural tradition, it based on this, these many positions that you place the body in, help make you feel good, you know, physically. You know, you feel more flexible, you release tension, you release a heaviness from the body. And so the physical postures are designed to create a lightness and a sense of this is out of the way. What is out of the way? The body is out of the way. Because for most of the world, most people in the world, the body is the problem with their life. 99% of people are just trying to find a sense of balance and harmony within their own physical body. Why? Because they don't understand the natural laws. People in the modern world today still don't understand that there are laws that humans have to live by. And they just assume that health and that well-being and living a long life are entitlements, that everyone's entitled to these things. And I would say they are, but they have to learn to be responsible individually for creating health, wellness, and strong immunity and all of those great things. So Hatha Yoga is a great system for purifying the body, disciplining the mind, and improving the mind-body relationship. And we might consider it like a stepping stone, like elementary school. As we grow an adult, that Hatha yoga, that postural yoga tradition is a good elementary school start in the yogic journey. And how do you feel that all of these components has led you to a certain dharma or life purpose and and what the type of work you're doing now i mean how did that come up from all of this well i mean a lot of this for me has come from my own true nature you know i'm a devotional somewhat sensitive person um you know you might call me religious or spiritual so for me, these traditions, first and foremost, are for my own self-healing. I'm a sadhak. I'm an aspirant. That is my highest aim. I so happened because that desire for me is so strong. 
and occupies a majority of my life that it's very easy for me to share that with others because my message is my life and my life is my message. And I have learned that unless you live this, it doesn't work. It's not a part-time thing. And more than anything, what I've begun to explore is this idea of why did I choose this very sacred teaching as a career? And I don't like to use that word, but it is how I sustain myself. And for me, I have discovered that part of that involves the ego. And my opportunity to that I have cultivated to teach and help others also helps me. When I share and when I make an effort to heal and help another person heal by providing this wisdom to them, by inspiring them, by setting an example for them, I also learn and it helps me. And that is very essential to me. And that became my life purpose because I don't do it because I want money or because I want something back from somebody else. I do it because I genuinely and sincerely love it. It's my life. It's my purpose. And to me, those are the most inspirational teachers that we have. This isn't part-time, as my counselor said to me when I sat with him complaining about aches and pains in my heart and worries in my mind. He said, Moss, this is just a little ripple in the ocean. You're here for the long course. Keep your eyes on the goal and don't let these little ripples disturb you. And I never forgot that, you know, there's ups and downs, there's challenges. It's not easy to teach Ayurveda and to practice Ayurveda in a country that is so dominated by allopathy, that is so dominated by surgery, prescription medications, and many destructive uh, aspects of our society, our, our family life here has been destroyed. And, and you know, we, we really are now as a culture here in America searching for a new way to live a new relationship with our bodies, a new relationship with the entire world and especially that natural world. Yeah, and, and you brought up a really big point that the West doesn't really treat these things as sciences or as true until, you know, there's research to show it or uh, money's involved. Um, and, you know, how does this differ from like in India, where these practices are considered a science and, you know, people become doctors of Ayurveda and it's used to, to heal people. Well, see, the difference is that America is science-based. 
and India is sage-based. That means that India has complete faith. Faith takes over where reason leaves off, right? So reason can take you only to a certain point, but then after that, you have to trust. And India has a great scriptural tradition of many, many great, great scriptures, texts written by great sages that realize the purpose of life. They had a direct link to the realm of pure consciousness. And so these traditions are alive in India and there is great devotion to these traditions. That means that there is not just an intellectual connection to them and they're not just learning a science and an application, but there is a love for what they do. There is a love and a devotion for all living things and a respect for nature, a respect for humanity. And this type of sensitivity is missing from our system that is so based on monetary gains, that is so based on the bottom line. And this is a travesty. How can we turn healing and helping others heal into businesses that are just focused on volume, on selling, and limit their capacity to heal because there is a lack of responsibility. Doctors in many cases don't live a healthy life. They don't, aren't taught to practice certain things and cultivate a relationship with nature. The aspect of food and dietetics is very, very different. There is very little emphasis of that in the Western systems. You know, I think that's really what defines um, the difference. And besides, in India, it's a very old tradition. This goes back thousands of years. This is not a recent thing. And India is very unique because Ayurveda, yoga, Vedantic philosophy influenced many of the great civilizations that we see today. You know, and um, so you could say it's the mother, you know, it's the cradle of our civilization as a global civilization. India is sort of the motherland for all of that. And so people that you work with, some of them that may be caught up in some of this Western ideology, how do you help them go back to their true self and, and search for their personal dharma? What is, what is some advice that you may give them? Well, I make sure that it's something they're willing to do, right? Mm -hmm. um, I often start with simple things, right? Um, I wanna see the proof. So I say, are you willing to do these three things? 
And if I see that they're willing to do it, then I give them more. And um, I really start with practical things like take care of your body and do these things to help connect your mind to your body and be mindful about what you do. Don't just cook to cook, make cooking and nourishing yourself very sacred. Food is divine, right? Mm -hmm. And so everything becomes sacred. It's not just doing it again for the sake of mechanics. I try to give people exercises and practices that will work for them and that emphasize their strengths and not their weaknesses. So I try and find where are the strong points in this person? What are, what are they good at? And I hitch onto those things. And I try and work Ayurvedic and natural remedies to those powers or positive attributes that a person has, rather than saying, here's a bunch of stuff that you don't do. You need to change and you need to start doing these things because they're going to help you. Um, we don't work that way. We work with the idea that keep doing the things that don't work for you. I'm not forcing you to change those things. But I'm asking you to do a few things that are easy for you, that you can do. And slowly, those negative things that you have struggled and you know are not good for you start to drop away. That's the difference. How does this approach work when it comes to balancing the doshas? Because doshas, those are your natural imbalances, right? And then you want to treat those with, with the opposite effect. So maybe could you go into how that plays a role in this process too? Yeah, Ayurveda takes the elements, these natural elements, earth, water, fire, air, and ether, condenses them into three forces. These forces are, you know, like mind, body, soul, sun, moon, earth, the trinity, right? And these doshas are referred to as vata, pitta, kapha. And we want to keep these equal in balance. And so when we refer to a dosha, we're referring to an element that is in excess or an element that is predominant in, in us and has a propensity towards disease, disorder, hence dosha. Okay. And what you are the most is most likely to be imbalanced in you. It's what you will struggle. It's what you'll trip up on. So everybody has their issues and the things that come up for them physically, mentally, on many levels, multiple levels. And so we aim to reduce those excesses so that air, fire, and water are balanced, equal and harmonious uh, within the mind body. And these elements as doshas influence the organs of the body, 
influence many, all aspects, systemic functions of the body, our entire physiology is influenced by. It brings healing back to nature. Everything is based on these elements. Where do those elements come from? Who made up the elements? Right? Earth, water, they're everywhere. They're in nature. And so what's in nature is in us. We're not different. We're not separate. We are a part of that creation. And those elements are also in the signs, right? Of the zodiac. They're also in the planets, right? We have seven days in a week, don't we? Why are there seven days in a week? Has anyone ever questioned that? Or why aren't there 10? Why aren't there 12 days in a week? Why are there 20 or so days in a month or 365 days in the year? All of those things dictate and create cycles that establish laws that we're meant to follow. And you spoke of diet and nutrition as a big aspect of balancing these doshas. What are some other ways um, that people can balance them? Well, sleep is a big factor. And establishing deep sleep. Most people don't know how to sleep. And most people don't enter the deep sleep realm. Why? Well, part of it has to do with modern society, the pace of society, and the stimulation of technology and all of these types of things. Um, we're hyper-stimulating our bodies with caffeinated drinks and many other things. And these things are disturbing the equanimity of the mind, the slowness of the mind, the calming of the mind, which is, which is essential. This is an essential aspect of yoga. Yoga is designed to slow the mind, to remove the cessations, the disturbances of the mind. And one of the great sages of yoga, Patanjali Maharshi says, that the mind, because of the ego, because of ignorance, because of many other factors, these are called kleshas, disturbances, um, lives an afflicted life. And that person must use yoga to manage those things. So their life is not being governed by the ego. Their life is not being governed by conditions of the mind. You know, and this is the challenge most of the world, and it's changing. There's a greater period now of evolution. It's very conditioned. If she does that, I'm going to do that. If my communities are doing that, I'm going to do that. And this is why it's so important to manage the mind and to cultivate good environment because it improves sleep. It improves the power of attention. Ayurveda is very big, not just on diet, but do you have focus, right? 
simple things like oiling the body with medicated, these herbal oils is a way to slow the mind, is a way to focus, connect, and to feel a sensualness, a sensitivity with your own body as a sacred temple, as a sacred space for consciousness. So herbs are another factor. The use of specific herbs and spices in our diet, depending on what our body needs, you know. And then there's the other aspects of yoga. Mantras are really good for calming the mind. Breath work is very important as well for balancing the two sides of the brain and improving neurological or neuromuscular function. And so the resources that Ayurveda has are so vast. There's so many things that a person can bring. And what we encourage people to do is just a little bit from a handful of things, three to four or five things, a little breath work, right? A little bit of maybe postures, a little more emphasis on a plant-based diet, right? And maybe a little oiling. Start with that. See where it takes you. And you will find that every time a person brings these practical things into their life, and suddenly they go, gosh, you know, I feel different. I feel better. I've noticed this has changed. The problem, Juliana, is that people spend eight to nine hours or 10 trying to sleep, another eight to 10 trying to make a million bucks, another two to three socializing on gadgets, right? Another two to three maybe eating. And, you know, you start out up the day, then where, where does the day go? How much time does each person realistically contribute and dedicate for health, for wellness and spiritual evolution? What are we here to do, right? Are you here to just make a lot of money, buy a house, pop out a bunch of kids, grow gray and old, and then sayonara, start another life? I'm sorry. There's a little bit more to life. And those that are beginning to question that and ask that deeper question, what is the mystery of life? What is the purpose of life? I know there is something more here. I know that you can't give me love. I know that you can't give me abundance. I know that nothing outside of me can give me what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. When that thinking, when that attitude begins to cultivate, now these traditions are here to take us on the jet airplane to the light realm, the realm of bliss, of joy, and seeing the light and enjoying this world. You know, I'm not saying that everyone would be skipping around, singing and prancing around, uh, totally blissed out, but it they help us to really live in a much more harmonious and um, in a more sincere and peaceful way. 
Yeah, something we spoke about in the training I did was um, creating this daily routine or dinacharya to try and prioritize these wellness practices because otherwise, you know, something I've noticed in my own life is they'll just continue to fall at the end of the things to do and then maybe won't even happen unless I, I say, okay, I'm waking up and doing this. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what is your personal, you know, morning routine, let's say, or night routine that helps you continue to put these wellness practices as a big part of, of your life and your journey? Yeah, you're right. I Well, I think about those things. Dinachari, I think about um, each day um, what my schedule is going to be. And I try to balance the day with, for example, I just took a little sunlight. I had some lunch and got about 10, 15 minutes of exposure to the sun um, because that's important. Um, I meditate and integrate meditation into my day, both morning and evening. I try to do um, self-massage at least two times per week, maybe three. Um, and I drink special herbs and I take special herbs and teas. So right now being the winter, I'm enjoying um, some very good sort of kapha balancing teas. And I bring in some uh, yoga postures and breath work that are important to the winter season that are what I call kapha busters. Kapha is an energy or a dosha that impacts the upper part of the spine, basically from the chest up. And so I'm getting in a couple good inversions in my asana practice. I also include rounds of Kapalabhati, Bastrika, and um, a few other uh, yogic breath techniques. And I also emphasize more cardiovascular exercise, which I enjoy, like swimming, like long walks. Uh, each day I try to do at least two miles of walking. And then take time to cook and really enjoy my cooking and my meals and sitting down and doing a prayer before my meals and all of that. And I was walking this morning with my dog and was feeling this cool breeze and looking up at the blue sky and seeing all the greenery everywhere and feeling the blessings of living a spiritual life and a healthy life and having these gifts that I can share with other people. And when you say living a spiritual life, how do you incorporate some of the spiritual practices in your routine as well? Do you read any scriptural texts or through mantra or what does that aspect come in? Yes, scriptural study is a part. I practice what I like to refer to as integral yoga. Mm -hmm. So an aspect of my life emphasizes listening to the world. What do the circumstances and the experiences in my life teach me? What, what can I learn from them? So they become practical for me. And then there is learning. 
Um, I learn from those experiences, but I also refer to books and sacred scriptures. And I use satsanga. I try to watch satsangas daily or uh, if not weekly. Uh, these aren't my own, but these are satsangas given by uh, various counselors and my gurus. And um, then I try, uh, I leave a little space for love or sensual or compassionate type practices, doing things for others. You know, a friend recently called me a few days back, needed to come into town, do a workshop. And he said, you know, listen, I'm coming in and da -da -da. I said, I know where you're going. Come on over. You got a place to stay. And I knew that it would help him. And I love opening my house, especially to other healers and teachers that have dedicated their life because we need to support each other. And I always leave space in my home for at least one, two, even three people um, and try and support and do my seva in that way. Um, I cooked him a nice little meal. I made him a nice little bit of chai. He felt so rewarded and he appreciated that. And then lastly, um, I bring in, again, the meditative practice or the aspect of Raja Yoga, which is always to meditate uh, daily. And that is a fourfold approach to living a spiritual life or a life that promotes evolution. I wanna feel that at the end of my day, I've done my part at improving myself. Am I living a more heart-centered life? Am I seeing others as myself? Have I done as much as I can to help others, especially those in need and those that don't understand? And, um, and, you know, so it's a constant process and this is, a, a living relationship, a spiritual relationship with people, places, and the natural world as our teacher. And it's just a constant process. It's constant. And this is how yoga becomes integrated. It's not just doing something. It's actually more about being mm -hmm. who you really are. You're not a mental condition. You're not anger. You're not fear. You are the light of pure consciousness. You're a soul having a temporary human experience. And we have to begin more and more to remind ourselves of that. That's essential. Mm -hmm. Because what you imprint yourself, what you surround yourself with is what carries along. It becomes your narrative, becomes your story. You know, yesterday my dad said, how far are you from this place? He's in Florida. He referenced the place in LA. And I said, oh no. I thought, what negative thing does he want 
me to know about. And then I thought, well, maybe it isn't negative. Maybe he wants me to know, he's asking because we have a family member or he has a friend visiting and he wants to see if we're close enough so that we can connect. So I looked, started kind of, you know, spent a few minutes, it wasn't long, a minute, to see what was going on in the town that he was referring to. And, and there was some very negative news in the media. And I said, here it is again, the destruction of the media and using it in an improper way and how it's impacted our world and our life. So I'm not critiquing the media as being all bad, but we have to be careful in how we use it. We have to emphasize what's good. We have to emphasize what's positive and promote those things and share those things with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always been taught the importance of a, a sangha, like a spiritual community to hold yeah. you accountable for these things because it can be hard with a society that's really trying to push us in a, a different direction. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, you, you almost have to constantly do spring cleaning. If you're on your social media channel and I find myself doing this constantly and I see someone post something derogatory, something that doesn't resonate with my life path, with the great teachings that I love to follow. So why am I listening to this person? What are they contributing to me? right? And where are they gaining their knowledge? And I often think about it. How many people have given or dedicated a portion of their life to being trained? We need training. We're like puppy dogs that pee all over the place and poo-poo in the wrong places mm -hmm. and do the wrong things. We need to leash humanity, we need to train them and put them into training schools. And as my guru's guru once said, we need to learn how to behave. We don't know how to live. We don't know what it means to live and to be alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that is true um, yeah I, I spoke with someone a few weeks ago on the podcast who said that we might not be able to change the world but we can change ourselves and that'll kind of have a ripple effect in itself by, by spreading what we've learned in our teachings which I think is a, a great way to look at it um, yeah that's right and and the idea is that when you change yourself you change what you see in the world, mm -hmm. right? Because as Vedanta teaches us, the world is an illusion, it's Maya. It's a projection of your own consciousness. Yeah, It's often mainly a projection of your own conditions. And so the world and what you're seeing in the world is what you need to learn from. This is why I use this formula, this formula of as a living practice of yoga and Vedanta of listen, learn, love, and let go. 
Listen, learn, love, and let go. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. I'm going to use that as a morning um, affirmation. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, those are the big questions I had today. Uh, do you want to share any resources maybe for people who want to go deeper with this work or maybe do a training, something along those lines? Yes. Uh, well, I encourage people to visit my website, dancingshiva.com. There's many articles, videos, and um, courses that I offer on a regular basis. Some are just short workshops, um, <clears throat> but we do have some longer trainings coming up like our Ayurveda uh, counselor program. And I would also encourage people to refer to my most recent book uh, called The Evolution Revolution. The subtitle is Yoga Ayurveda and the Rise of the Soft Power Culture. And um, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it on my website. Um, it's a new book. It's only less than a year out, so about a year. And there they will find a lot of the themes and a lot of the uh, points that actually we discussed today. It's almost like a synchronicity of the things you wanted to talk about are all right there in that book. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Yes. Uh, thank you. It's my pleasure. And and let's share this this podcast with others and encourage others to support your work and what you're doing and help us to spread these teachings. They're so important. And I'm grateful that you've uh, invited me. <laughs>